Brother Anthony's uh, message this morning is entitled Courage for Mission, and he's asked that I read to you from Acts 22, verses 1 through 22. Acts 22, 1 through 22. <clears throat> Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they, all kept, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, and also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know what in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far away here to the Gentiles. Far away from here to the Gentiles. A lesser man couldn't handle a reading like that, Gene. That was good. That was good. Let me finish with verse 22. What you're hearing is a story from uh, told about the Apostle Paul who was facing an angry mob, a violent group of people. And it just so happens that this violent group of people were highly devout religious Jews. It's kind of strange, isn't it? And they were angry with Paul because of, uh, he came back into the temple and they thought that he was changing their religion. He had changed his, and that was his business, but now he was convincing other Jews to change their religion. And he was trying to turn upside down this whole business of the Jewish faith, and they were furious at him. They were beating him 
to the point of almost death, at the point in which um, these people stopped the beating. They were dragging him away to hold him in court. And Paul stopped them and said, can I address the crowd? Can I speak to the crowd? And what uh, Gene read for us is Paul speaking to this angry mob. And if you heard, he told the whole story. He said who he was, where he was from, what he was doing, why he converted. And he comes down to verse 21 where Gene read, and it says, Paul is telling them what Jesus told him. Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And in verse 22 it says this, Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and they said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Away from this, get this man away from the entire earth. He shouldn't even be able to live. They wanted him to die. Well, we are 20 sessions into the book of Acts. We are getting to the point where we're close to the end. There's just a few more left, about three more. And we'll be all done with the book of Acts for this period of time. And <clears throat> perhaps you've noticed a theme throughout all 20 of these sermons so far. And that theme is this. Everything has to do with what we're looking at, the book of Acts. The mission that Jesus Christ gave his earliest disciples, his first disciples. And it was incredibly simple. It wasn't complex. He asked them to go be witnesses of him, who he is, and his resurrection to people in the world. Start with those that are close to you and incrementally work out to those that are outside of your circles. But in the very basis, here's what it is. Go be a witness of who Jesus is, what he has done, and why that has changed your life. It's not an easy task, especially as we see here in the story of Paul. Uh, at best, Jesus makes people uncomfortable. The fact of his presence means that we were sinners in need and we have been immeasurably loved by him. That makes people uncomfortable. And at best, or at worst, pardon me, Jesus can make people violently angry. And so for his people to carry out this mission, for his people to take this mission to the world, they have to have what we're calling courage. And Paul, in this story here, what he's willing to say and what he's willing to do is a perfect portrait for us to observe what courage really is. What courage really is. Paul is a portrait of real, genuine courage in faith. You know, typically, if you're like me, when you think about the word courage, what usually comes up into my mind is things like a picture of a warrior. Uh, maybe somebody ready for battle, somebody who's fierce, somebody who is not afraid, somebody who might even be aggressive. And while all of those things might be true when you describe somebody who is courageous, those aren't actually what real courage is. The, the willingness to fight and the willingness to oppose and the, the willingness to be ready to go to battle in and of itself is not courage. People battle for things that are not courageous and they're not being courageous. Those are results of courage, but courage itself has a deeper root than just the willingness to go to battle. Courage itself is deeper than just the willingness to oppose or to speak or to be bold Courage is deeper than that. You know, the word courage actually gets its roots from the Latin word cur, C-O-U-R. That's where we got the word courage. And the Latin word cur just literally means your heart. 
And so the word courage, its earliest definition, its first definition, the way that the word courage was used was this, to speak openly what is true on your heart. Now, you know, you've watched this before. Now, when I say the word courage, like I mentioned before, you might conjure up images of a warrior, somebody ready for battle, but you've observed courage. People fighting illness, you observe courage. You've watched people maybe stand up and give a testimony to a difficulty or a difficult situation in their life and speak boldly about failing or having challenges and overcoming them, and you've looked at that and said, that's courage. The reason we call that courage is because they're speaking openly about what's true on the inside of them. All Paul is doing here in Acts chapter 22 is telling on the outside what's already true on the inside. It takes courage to have integrity. It takes courage to tell the truth. It takes courage to live externally what is true internally. Anything less is hypocrisy. So what I want to do this morning is to look at a portrait of real courage, to see it in action, to know what real courage is, where it comes from, and how it can have impact on our life so we can become people who are willing to courageously share the message of Jesus. So three really easy things to do. Let's do number one. What courage does. Number one, courage actually finds common ground. This might be a little paradoxical for you to think about, but look in verses 1 through 5, what Paul does with this angry, vicious mob of people. People that were literally just striking him with their own hands just moments before, before he's drug away, and they are just riling at him. They're angry at him. And in his courage, Paul finds common ground. Look what he does with the people who just finished beating him. Number one, he unifies with them. He unifies with them. He says in verse 1, look what he calls them, brothers and fathers. He's speaking as if they are kin or as if they're family. He's speaking as if they are united, as if they have some connection. He says brothers and fathers. What he's linking to is their Jewish heritage that is shared. He also speaks in their language. He can speak Greek at this time. Paul's a Roman citizen. He's trained at the schools. Greek was a common language, but to the Jews... The, the Romans were the ones pulling him away. The Roman guards and soldiers were pulling him away from this mob. And he speaks in their tongue, their Hebrew language. And he puts them at ease, probably because the Romans couldn't understand what he was saying, but he was speaking directly to the Jews. And notice what he says down in verse, I believe it's um, verse 3. He says, I am a Jew. Uh, I'm sorry, go down to verse, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I am a Jew, pardon me, verse 3. Born in Tarsus in, the, in Cilicia, and brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamiel, according to the strict manner of the law of who? Of our fathers. You see, the first thing Paul does is he seeks to unify with this angry mob. He says it's brothers and fathers, and speaks in their language the way that they can understand. And he also says that I was zealous for the law of our fathers. He's sharing something with them. So he's unified with them. Number two, he's optimistic towards them. It takes courage for Paul in this moment to not just be unifying with them, that's dangerous, but also optimistic about these people. 
He, he literally has every right to be pessimistic about this group of people. Would you agree? If they're beating him and torturing him and wanting to kill him, he, he has some leeway there to maybe be a little bit pessimistic about these humans. And he looks at him and he's optimistic. And he says, I persecuted this way as well. And I was zealous for the law of our fathers. But look what he says at the end of verse 3. Just like you are zealous for God. You see what Paul's doing? He honors their passion. He acknowledges and gives credit to their motivation. He recognizes, even with a black eye and probably bloody lip, that the reason he has a black eye and a bloody lip is these people passionately love God. They're just misdirected. And he honors them and gives them credit of that. He's optimistic about them. He sees their desire for right, their desire for good, their desire for justice, their desire for purity and integrity, their desire for their God's name to be known. He honors that desire. And he says, I get it. I was just like that. So it's courageous for Paul to unify with them, for him to be optimistic towards them. And it's courageous for him to be personal with them. These people haven't earned the right to hear Paul's personal story of his life. These people haven't done anything to earn Paul's vulnerability and for him to share with them his life story. But yet he still does. He says in verse 4, I was just like you. I persecuted this way just like you're persecuting me. I get it. I understand. And he makes that connection and he finds that common ground through sharing himself with them. So Paul's courage leads him to find common ground. He is saying, I am way more like you than you realize. Now, in our time, in our age where we live, we are becoming less and less what people would call as a recognizable Christian society. And we're becoming more like the days in which Paul lived, where the society in which he existed was not dominated by Christian thought, nor was it dominated by the Christian religion. And yet Paul still had the ability to find common ground with people that differed according to his religion or his faith. I want to encourage us to think seriously about how we do that. How we unify with people instead of just finding reasons to divide. How we are willing to extend credit to people that might be appearing as our enemies, but, but extend credit to what is pure in them or what is right in them. And ultimately being willing to be personal with them. You see, when Paul says, I'm more like you than you realize, what he's doing is showing that this kind of courage, this type of courage, creates opportunities to share the gospel. You know the courage that is kind of bravado and ready to fight and fierce and angry? That kind of courage rarely cultivates opportunities to share Jesus. Now that, that kind of courage draws lines, separates people, puts people on one side and people on another. But this kind of courage that Paul has where he is willing to take the risk of creating common ground is building the opportunity of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this kind of courage prioritizes the mission of Jesus, not just the feelings of Paul. So number one, what does courage do? Courage finds common ground. Number two... Where does courage come from? It's a pretty simple question, but an important one. Where does courage come from? Number two, courage is fueled by conversion. Real, <clears throat> genuine courage to share the mission of Jesus Christ, of who he is, can only come 
from your conversion. You see, Paul's life is on the line here in this story, literally. His life is hanging in the balance. He could die by the, by the, by the power and, the, and the, um, the anger of this mob, and these are the ones that want to kill him, and yet he pauses and says, can I have just a moment to speak to these people? And his speaking is going to make it worse, and he knows that. He's talking to angry Jews, and he's about to tell them how Jesus, the one they killed, came and spoke to him and told him to go preach the gospel to save Gentiles. He knows he's going to say this, and he knows it's going to make his situation worse. What gave him that kind of courage to do that? Naturally, it's born out of his conversion. You see, that's what he spends the bulk of his time actually talking about. Starting in verse 4, he says, I was just like this. All the way down to verse 16, where he is baptized into Jesus Christ and his sins are washed away. That story is the bulk of what he's saying to these Jews. He's sharing with it. And so naturally, when he has a moment to speak, what comes out is his personal story of conversion. What Christ did for him. This makes sense, doesn't it? That what we're most courageous about is what we most believe in. That what we're most courageous about is what we've been converted to. Let me try to draw this uh, story for you this way. It makes sense for us. I was a person who uh, grew up playing sports, and I eventually funneled into running as the sport that I did. I despised every minute of it, but I happened to be able to do it, so I did it. And um, after college, and I, I retired from running, so to speak. You don't really get retired when you just are told not to come back, but... <clears throat> I occasionally for the rest of my life would dabble in running as I have gotten older and as you can tell I need to begin dabbling in running again um, but have you ever if, if, if you're a person who's thought about running have you ever talked about running with somebody who is a runner you ever brought up the idea you know I, I thought about jogging or maybe doing a 5k or I was thinking about doing a, a half marathon or something like that you start talking about that in front of somebody who either is a runner or thinks they're a runner, immediately, immediately, right, what will happen? You'll know exactly what program to do. You'll know which heart monitor to buy. You'll know the kind of brand of shoes you should get. you know the food you should eat. You'll know the places to put powder. You'll know everything, right, from them because they're passionate about running. Why would that person have such boldness and courage? Well, the reason is simple. They've experienced it. They've been converted, whether it's to that kind of food or that brand of shoes or that program of running. They've been converted to it. They believe in it. And it's natural for them to share what they believe in, to share what's changed their life. Make sense? Well, it should make sense because it lines up with what Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, when he said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I wish I could make the recipe for courage a little bit more complex, a little bit more interesting, maybe, maybe um, say it in a way that you could say, oh, finally I can have courage, but here, here's what it is, courage. The courage to speak about the beauty and the value of Jesus Christ will only be fueled by your conversion to the beauty and value of Jesus Christ. It's ludicrous to think that you will be courageous to speak about Jesus if he really doesn't matter that much to you. If his beauty, his value, his power, his dominance hasn't changed your life, you're not going to have courage 
to share him. You're just not. Now, you might get into religious fights. You might get into a Facebook war. You might post some ugly memes about Christianity and stuff. You might do that. But you won't share the beauty and value of Jesus Christ if his beauty and value isn't real to you. It's no more complex than that. Courage is born out of conversion. It must be real about you before you'll have real courage, not the false courage that looks for a fight, but real courage to speak what's true. You see, real conversion makes us humble and confident. To be converted by Jesus Christ makes you humble and confident. Humble because you know that he had to come and die for your sins. Confident because you know he actually did. He loved you enough to come. So you are both humble and confident. And and conversion also gives you conviction and love. When you are converted, you have no doubt that this is true. Beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ raised from the dead that you are convicted of that, that you believe it, and that if people in all across the world would understand who Jesus is, their life would be changed. You have that conviction, but at the same time as that you have that conviction, you have an immense amount of love for people. If all you have is convictions about ideas of religion, and without love for people, you're not really converted to Jesus. What you like is the religion Jesus gives you that lets you be right. You don't love Jesus. To be converted to Jesus makes you humble and confident, and it gives you conviction with love. So, humility and confidence, out of conviction and love, you will courageously share Jesus Christ. Okay, number one, courage finds common ground. That's what it does. Number two, courage is fueled by conversion. That's where it comes from. How does courage make impact? Number three, courage has commitment. Courage doesn't ask for commitment. Courage doesn't beg you to find a level of commitment. By its very nature, courage has commitment. Paul says three different things that reveal his commitment based upon his courage. Number one, courage determined where he went. And courage determines where we go. In verse 18, Paul said, when he was in a trance and praying, uh, in verse 17 and 18, that they told him, you got to go, you got to get out of here. People are going to kill you. And so Paul had to leave Jerusalem and go to the Gentiles. His conversion that drives his courage made him leave. It determined where he went. Courage that has commitment will determine what you do. In verses 15 and verse 21, Paul was given an incredibly simple mission. I like to point this out. In verse 15, that Paul had no different mission than what you and I have. Look in verse 15, just read it. Look what, God, look what Jesus told Paul to do. For you will be a witness, uh, Ananias is telling Paul, you will be a witness for Jesus to everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. That's it. So Paul had commitment to where he was going to go, what he was going to do, go be a witness, and what he was going to say. In verse 20, he had a confession about Stephen. He was the one that was there holding the clothes, giving approval to those that killed the first Christian, Stephen. And he had a commitment to go to the Gentiles, and he said that to these Jews. He was saying, I'm responsible for Stephen, and Christ has called me to go to Gentiles. And saying those things was not an advantage for Paul's life. In fact, it was dangerous for Paul to say it. But his courage demanded his commitment, where he would go, what he would do, and what he would say. 
You won't find the commitment to do those things without real, genuine courage. And courage is exactly what we need. You know, I've often wondered what gave Jesus his courage. What gave him the strength to stand, the courage to stand through his experiences, especially at the end of his life? Uh, scripture reveals over and over that he could have ended it at any moment. You know, we sing the song, it's drawn from Scripture, that he could have called 12 legions or 12,000 angels to come and take him. He could have cried to his father, not just, my heart is troubled, but let's have this be over, I'm done. He could have done that. Jesus had the courage to stand up when Judas came bringing his uh, guards to collect him. Jesus had the courage to stand silent when he was wrongly accused before the court. He had the courage to stand vertical when he was beaten senseless by a Roman warrior. He had the courage to stand and walk while he was carrying our cross. And he had the courage to stand alone as he bore the shame and reproach for our sin. Why would he do that? Because Jesus was a man of courage. That means what was true on his inside was just simply coming out on the outside. What was true on his inside? He was a man of courage because what was inside of him was an unshakable, unfailing love. And when you finally let yourself, yes, you have to let yourself receive the kind of love that he has demonstrated to you, it will change your life forever. In fact, I'm willing to say that it's the one thing that every person in this room is looking for. And you won't find it in a spouse. You won't find this kind of need fulfilled in a spouse, in your children. You won't find it in a parent patting you on the head and approving you. You won't find it in accomplishments. You won't earn it by getting the right job or earning enough money or having a prestigious life. You won't find what you're looking for until you find it in the love of Jesus Christ. I think this is what Bono meant when he wrote the song by you 2 you know. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Didn't think you'd get a Bono reference today, but you did. You know, that, you know, Bono is a believer. And that song is exactly saying what I'm saying. That I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that's exactly what you're looking for, is the love of God. So how do you obey today? Let's do this and we'll be done. How can you obey this lesson? Number one, I want you to reflect on the last time you shared Jesus Christ with somebody. Maybe it's been a while. Did you have courage? Did you hold back? Did you come off angry and self-righteous? Did you walk away bitter and frustrated? Were you weak and soft and maybe light-footed around it? Did you find common ground with them? Number two, so number one, reflect on the last time you shared Christ. How did it go? Number two, I want you to list three to five important things that Jesus Christ has done. And then next to those, so write down three to five things. And next to those things, write down what difference those things have made in your life. That's it. Write down three to five. What has Jesus done? What do you know about Jesus? And next to those things, what has that done for your life? What impact has that had on your life? You see, that's the basis of what you share with people. Number three, this one is the forever question. Ask yourself, are you actively receiving his perfect love? You know how you know you're not? This is the way we're going to have to diagnose it reverse fashion. Okay, Here's how you know you're not. 
Are you restless? Dissatisfied? Are you worried all the time? Do you lack peace? Frustrated? Do you have joy? I mean, unshakable joy in the sense of which your circumstances do not change your well-being. Do you have that? Nothing offers you that except the love of Jesus. If you need it, let's come as we stand and sing.